It's Friday, the 11th of September, 1874, and in the Whitechapel district of London, three workmen are approaching the end of their shifts. This is the beating heart of the British Empire, and work can be unrelenting. It's no different for these men, who've been labouring outdoors all day long with no protection from the late summer sun. As the time approaches about half past four in the afternoon, the men are understandably tired, hot. The noise of heavy industry has been ringing in their ears since the morning. It's for this reason that they think twice about the three sounds that just pierce through the air. They can't be certain, but they could have sworn that that was the sound of gunfire. They decide to do a cursory search around the area peering into local factories and warehouses, but nothing seems amiss. The only thing that catches their attention is a big, burly, bearded man. They're sure that he's seen them as well, but he seems to be doing his best to pretend that he's not seen them. He's also visibly nervous, but doing his best to pretend that he's not got care in the world. Hello again, and welcome to episode two of the Ministry History Podcast. Thanks for sticking with me. I hope you enjoyed the last episode about the Burke and Hare murders, but I will be the first to admit it's probably not the best thing you've ever listened to. That was my first ever podcast. I was getting the hang of things. I'm sure this episode is going to be even better. Related to that, I have a second confession to make on top of my first confession in the first episode that I'm only a one-man band at the moment. My second confession is thus. When I was at school, I was really bad at computer things, technology things, ICT as we call it here in the UK. I mean, I was not very good, diabolical in fact, criminally bad. So all of this, learning a new software, trying to upload podcasts, it's all quite a steep learning curve for me so you'll have to excuse the little mistakes and blips that I'm making. Rest assured, I'm fully committed to ironing out those mistakes and offering the best possible product to you, my faithful listeners. As always, just a bit of housekeeping to begin with. If you haven't already checked out the blog, then please, please make sure you do. It's the Ministry of History on Google, and it should be one of the top results. You'll know it's the right one because it will have the blue and black logo, the famous blue and black logo, or at least the logo I would like to make famous. Head over there to find out about all types of interesting people and stories from throughout history. How about the woman who ran London's nightclub scene in the 1920s, taking on powerful establishment figures as she did it? How about the man who invented the tabloid press as we know it? You can find out about all of that and more on the blog. If you're on Twitter, remember, it's at Ministry History, all one word with no of in the middle. Give us a follow and you'll be the first to know about new podcasts, new blogs and anything that's popped into my head on a given day. That's at Ministry History, all one word, no of in the middle. If you're not on Twitter, then good for you. 
There's horrible people on Twitter. Nasty people. Stay well away. But don't let it stop you from being updated about the latest blogs and podcasts. You can follow all of that on the website. Series one of the Ministry of History podcast is all about murder. And today we're visiting another 19th century murder, this time heading south to London. Henry Wainwright was seemingly an upstanding man. He was a shopkeeper, a husband, a father. He was the epitome of the ideal Victorian middle-class man. But Wainwright had a horrible secret. In fact, he had more than a secret. He had a second family. Now, there's many problems with secret second families, not least among them that you've betrayed your first family. But on a more practical level, a second family can be pretty expensive to maintain. Henry Wainwright was spiralling into debt, trying to balance his double life. He was searching for an answer to his financial woes. But what would that answer be? Well, let's just say there's a reason he features in our murder series. Let's just rewind a bit. Let's take you back to the start of Mr. Wainwright's life. Now, when I was researching this story, I could see loads of different dates given for his birth, ranging from about 1832 to 1842. From what I can tell though, the most likely year of his birth was around 1838, maybe give or take a year. What I can tell you with certainty is the place of Wainwright's birth. Henry Wainwright is born in the East End of London. Now, I know what you're probably already thinking. The East End of London in Victorian times is famously full of crime, poverty, squalor. You're probably thinking, is it any wonder that a son of London's East End, such as Henry Wainwright, turns out to be a murderer? Well, such an analysis would actually be being too generous to Mr. Wainwright. You see, his family are a family of brushmakers, and the fact that they have a profession gives young Henry a distinct advantage over thousands of other children born in the same era in the same part of London. It's not that the Wainwrights are filthy rich or living the high life, but they're not exactly working class either, and young Henry has an upbringing that A gives him a trade, and B gives him a sense that he can make something of himself, he can improve his circumstances. Sure enough, by the early 1870s, by which time Henry is in his early 30s, he has improved his circumstances. He's opened his own brushmaking shop in Whitechapel, famously the scene of the Jack the Ripper murders just under 20 years after this. He's also married to a woman named Elizabeth and his father to at least three children. So. By 1871, Henry Wainwright is a small business owner, a shopkeeper, a husband, a father. He works hard. He's seemingly a family man. He's well respected. He is, in essence, the epitome of the idyllic Victorian middle-class existence. I'm telling you all of this because I don't want you to think that just because he's born in London's East End, a notoriously tough area, means that he's a victim of circumstance in any way. Henry Wainwright has lived a relatively privileged life. 
He had it made by the standards of his time. He couldn't really ask for any more. I don't want you to think that he's born into some vicious cycle of violence. I don't want you to think that he never knew any better. Henry Wainwright knew perfectly well the immorality of his actions over the next few years. There's one or two photographs of Henry Wainwright from around this time, the early 1870s, that you can find on the internet. Incidentally, you can find one of them on my blog. Now, I am aware that in the Victorian times, when you were being photographed, you had to stay still because it took a while for the camera to capture the image. But even allowing for this, when I see a photo of Henry Wainwright, I don't see a particularly endearing man. Behind the big bushy beard and the vacant stare, I see a smug man, an arrogant man, the type of person we've all met in our lives, usually a bloke, who's so irritatingly sure of themselves. To be fair, as I've already outlined, Henry Wainwright had a lot to be arrogant about. He's a shopkeeper, a business owner, a husband, a father. He's well respected. What more could a Victorian man want? Turns out, if your name was Henry Wainwright, there's a lot more you could want. And in 1871, he starts chasing something, or to be more specific, someone that he should have never started chasing. Allow me to introduce the next person in this story, Harriet Lane. This next fact may or may not make you think more favourably about Henry Wainwright, but it's important to the story. The man absolutely loved the theatre. He couldn't get enough of it. He would go most weeks, sometimes bringing his wife, sometimes bringing the children, sometimes bringing the whole family. But other times, he would attend the theatre on his own. And when he was on his own, it wasn't just plays that he was interested in. It's on one such night that an aspiring actress who's working part-time at a local theatre catches his eye. Her name is Harriet Lane. Now, I've found enough information about Harriet Lane to have a general idea of the type of person she was, and honestly, it will just make you gutted that she ends up with a person like Henry Wainwright. Unfortunately, I can't quite figure out her exact age, although it's thought that when she meets Wainwright in 1871, she's in her late teens or early 20s. What I do know is that she's from Waltham Abbey, which is a town just to the north of London, and that she's from a very close, loving family. She arrives in the big city with the full support of her mother and father, and dreams of making it big as a performer in one of Victorian London's raucous, rowdy music halls. She's also incredibly beautiful, and this natural beauty is accompanied by a quick wit and an easy charm. There's no doubt about it, Harriet Lane is a catch, and she has no shortage of male attention. This just makes it even more of a shame that the bloke she goes for is Henry Wainwright. To be fair, Wainwright is probably charming and confident enough to win her over, and he's got enough money to show her a good time. More than that though, Henry Wainwright is absolutely infatuated by Harriet Lane and he makes it his mission to sweep her off her feet. 
It's a mission he accomplishes, and within a couple of months, the pair of them are in a very passionate relationship. This is an affair of genuine love, and they end up having two children together. Henry forks out for a second home in Mile End, not far from Whitechapel, to house his illegitimate family, and for a while, it's a situation that seems to work, at least for Henry. While Harriet is painfully aware that Henry has another wife, another family, and she's desperate for him to just come and live with her, Henry seems to think that he can have his cake and eat it. He can spend some time with his first family and some time with his second family. He's even forged a relationship with the woman who lives next door to the house in Mile End so that she can look after his illegitimate children while he and Harriet go off on their dalliances every now and then. So, as far as Henry's concerned, it's happy days. He's living the perfect life, isn't he? Well, let's consider a few things. Firstly, there's the risk he's taking. Now, because Henry has so much, he stands to lose so much if his second life is ever discovered. If it's discovered that he has a second illegitimate family, then he would surely stand to lose his social standing, not to mention his first family. All of this risk, I would imagine, places a lot of stress on him. And aside from that, it also makes him more devious, more adept at avoiding detection. That's something we're going to see more of in Henry Rainwright over the next couple of years. Secondly, it turns out that trying to maintain two families is ruinously expensive. Henry earns enough to comfortably provide for one family, but for two, well, he just doesn't have enough money and he's spiralling into financial debt. The third thing that seems to be ruining Henry's happy life is Harriet Lane herself. Perhaps as a result of the emotional pain that Henry causes her by refusing to leave his first wife, Harriet is becoming increasingly reliant on drink. Henry doesn't like drunk Harriet. Drunk Harriet is rude. Drunk Harriet is demanding. Drunk Harriet screams at him, threatening to reveal everything to his wife, threatening to ruin everything he holds dear. So, Henry doesn't actually have such a perfect life. He has a stressful life, he has financial worries, and he has a lover who's very demanding and a borderline alcoholic. It starts to occur to Henry that all of his problems could be solved if just one person was removed from the scene. It starts to occur to Henry that it would be quite convenient for him if Harriet Lane just disappeared. Nowadays, the true crime genre is one of the most popular in the world, and I must confess, I'm a fan as well. People seem to be particularly fascinated by the idea of the stereotypical man or woman next door, the husband or the wife, the mother or the father, the person with the good job who seems to have their life together, the last person you'd expect to be guilty of murder. That same phenomenon exists in Victorian times. Not all Victorian murderers are cartoonish monsters like Jack the Ripper. Henry Wainwright is a prime example of this. If you had lived in Whitechapel in the early 1870s, he probably was the last person you would have expected to be a murderer. I'm fascinated by the idea of Henry Wainwright 
living his life as normal in the summer of 1874, spending time with his family, running his shop, being jolly with members of his community, all the while planning the murder of his lover. And it was planned, make no mistake, the murder of Harriet Lane was no crime of passion. It was cold, it was calculated, it was methodical. In the first week of September, 1874, Henry told Harriet the words she'd been waiting to hear for three years. He was indeed intent on leaving his wife and spending the rest of his life with her. All she had to do was meet him at his warehouse in Whitechapel the following Friday, but she couldn't tell anyone that it was him she was meeting, lest any word get back to his wife. Instead, she should tell anyone who asked that she was off to meet a man named Mr. Freak. Yeah, I know it's weird. I don't know why he chose that name either. In any case, Harriet followed his instructions faithfully and on Friday, the 11th of September, 1874, she dressed in her finest clothes and left her and Henry's children in the care of the neighbour in Mile End. She headed towards Whitechapel and at about four o'clock in the afternoon, she bumped into some friends. She repeated Henry's story. She was off to meet a man named Mr. Freak. The friends didn't think anything of it, but it wouldn't be long before they wished they had pushed her harder about where she was going. Harriet arrived at Henry Wainwright's warehouse in Whitechapel at about quarter past four. 15 minutes later, local workmen were sure they heard the sounds of gunfire but were less sure when they had a look around the local area and didn't see anything untoward. Of course, they had been right the first time. They had heard gunfire. Henry Wainwright had shot Harriet Lane three times at point-blank range. That evening, he set in motion his plan for getting away with murder. On the next episode, Henry Wainwright seems to have got away with murder, but his financial circumstances don't improve in the way that he had hoped. Will those financial woes cause him to do something silly? Will he finally be caught? You'll have to find out next week. The Ministry of History is obviously not an academic source. I'm influenced by all types of different writings. For this podcast in particular, I'd like to acknowledge the influence of Susan Isaac's article on the Henry Wainwright case for the Royal College of Surgeons of England website. I'd also like to acknowledge another article on the case on the East End website.